You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Great to see you this morning. Good to hear your voices. Our scripture text is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. If you would turn there with me, please, Acts chapter 8. And our, our focus will be in verses 26 to 38. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 38. Today I want to preach to you a sermon on a very important subject. Uh, it's a, a subject that is uh, certainly important to us as a church Um, But also, the more that we look into it, and the more that we think about it and understand what it is, we'll realize it's also a controversial subject. It's a maybe a sensitive subject. It's also, in some regards, a divisive subject as well. And you might wonder, maybe it's on the screen already, you might wonder what it is. Oh, there it is. You might wonder, what is this subject by, by chance? Is it the Christian in politics? Is it worship styles? No, it is... It is baptism. In fact, you might feel like, oh, I forgot to bring it here. Is my lunch bag there? Oh, thanks, darling. Can you bring it up? Isn't she wonderful? (laughs) You might feel about this subject today the way I feel about my lunch bag. I wonder what's in my lunch bag this morning. I can't get the zipper open. There we go. Now, you might feel like I do about these Oreo cookies. I mean, this is a delightful subject. You hear baptism, and for some of you, it thrills your soul because you, you, you share in the sense that it's important, but also you know, you, you think immediately about the wonder of salvation that's represented there, and, and you might even think, it's about time this pastor preached on baptism. You may feel, though, you, so you may feel a sense of delight. You might also be drawn to this subject, like I'm drawn to these, these crispers. And I got to tell you, crispers are so, I, I'm a salty, like some of you, how many of you are into sweet? You like sweet if you're looking for a snack? Now, how many of you are into salt? Yeah, you are my people, and I'm telling you, I'm drawn to these things, and I just, I just, I just can't help it. I see them, and I'm like, ma'am, and then you can't just eat one. I mean, you've got to just, oh, I better stop here. I'm going to get a drink. You are drawn to this because maybe you're, you're drawn to this subject, and it's not so much, maybe you feel a sense of controversy about it, but you may feel a sense of confusion about it. And you're like, I mean, different people have different views on it, and, and I'm trying to figure out that I don't know. So like, oh, great, a sermon on baptism. This is, I'm drawn to this, and so maybe you are. Uh, there's others of you who maybe um, may feel like I do when I pull out the vegetables. <laughs> like I'm just kind of, I'm kind of disappointed, like, nah, nah, veggies. I mean, I know they're good for me, I know, but I'd rather eat the crispers. That's more interesting to me, or the Oreos. And, uh, but the, uh, man, but I, I know it's good for me, but you see, you, you might be disappointed because you're like, baptism, B- baptism, there's way more relevant subjects for my life today than baptism. And uh, you might feel that way, and I'm not going to stand here and argue with you too much, other than to say, whatever God talks about in his word is relevant to us, Amen. right? Just like the veggies are good for us. Now, you may also feel like I do, I was very careful with this here, if I pulled this out of my lunch bag. It's just an, an egg. You're like, ooh, I like eggs. Yeah, this one's raw. It's not cooked. <laughs> and you're like, you know, I'm not sure that I will like this. You might feel that way as you hear me talk about baptism. And 
you, you hear that, okay, uh, I've heard about this in this church, and I don't know that I'm going to like this sermon. It's not because maybe it's not anything necessarily personal, but maybe you come from a background where you have a different view, you've been taught differently on this subject, and as soon as I say the sermon today is on baptism, you start to feel like, oh, here it comes. Here comes this, this awkwardness, here comes uh, this, um, uh, this sermon that's going to maybe make me feel guilty or sort of make me feel defensive, or make feel like everybody's looking at me, like pastor's probably thinking of me when he's preaching this. I assure you, I don't have anybody particularly in view this morning. I have all of you in my view. But understand this. If you feel like it just you're, this is a raw egg I'm about to give to you, understand this. My aim today is to show you something of why we believe what we believe at Hope Bible Church Niagara on the subject of baptism. My primary aim, while, while I will highlight some particulars that may come across a little prickly, understand that's not my heart, and it's not my intent. I today, part of my ambition is to be able to speak to why we believe what we believe about baptism, so that whether you agree or disagree, you will have an understanding about why we stand where we stand. Now, I should say that's not my only aim this morning either. Our service today is going to culminate with a, bapti with a baptism, in fact, three baptisms here in this service. And so in some ways what I'm doing, I trust it will prepare our hearts and our minds for what we're about to witness at the end of the service. Well, Acts chapter 8, I do need a drink of water. <laughs> it's the crispers. I just, I shouldn't have done that. Here she comes again. I see, I want to hurt it. It's fine. It's fine. Here. You're beautiful too, Brian. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Very kind. Very kind. Acts chapter 8 tells us an amazing story of conversion. Yes, I'm preaching from this text because it, I think, is a helpful text to get us thinking about baptism. But at the heart of it is the powerful working of God to bring somebody from spiritual death to life. That's what this story is We pick it up in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip's an early evangelist, said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, just to pause here for a moment, this man, this Ethiopian man from ancient Ethiopia is, you could say roughly speaking, he, he's the, the minister of finance. He has a very prominent position. He's a powerful person. But on this occasion, as we meet him here in Scripture, he is somebody who is humble and hungry for God. In fact, so much so, he made a 500-mile journey from his home to Jerusalem searching for God. Now, the text doesn't say much about how he is feeling about his experience in Jerusalem, but I'm going to posit a guess that he was probably disappointed by what he saw. 
when you read Jesus' perspective and Jesus' words about what he saw in Jerusalem in those days, you can surmise that this man from Ethiopia who went hungry for God came away hungry for God too, not having found much of him in all the empty religion that was present in Israel in those days. So here he is on his way back home. He is, I would guess to you, I would suggest he's probably disappointed, discouraged, But while he didn't seem to find what he was looking for in Jerusalem in that moment, he did find something. And we're told here he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. So he's got a scroll. He's got the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah that we have in our Bibles in our Old Testament. He's got it, and he is reading it. Now notice what happens in verse 29. And the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So... Philip ran to him and heard him, heard the Ethiopian reading Isaiah the prophet. So you can imagine he's reading out loud. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? And verse 31, I love this answer. How can I unless someone guides me? So if you've ever been struggling reading your Bible, you can take comfort. You're not the first. You're not the only one. He's trying to read this and make sense of this. And he says, I need someone to explain it to me. And notice he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So he comes up into his chariot. So imagine there's this motorcade going through the desert. And all of a sudden, Philip appears and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I imagine the man was probably startled. He's in a deserted place. You don't expect to find people out there. And he invites Philip into his chariot. And notice what happens. Verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. This is right out of Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch, verse 34, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Well, who who do you think? Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Someone else. Then, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So you see what happened here? He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, who's writing about the person of Jesus Christ, who would come into the world 700 years after Isaiah, He's reading this this book out loud, can't understand it. Philip comes along, says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? Oh, you can explain it to me. Here, have a seat and help me understand this. And beginning with that scripture, Philip began to explain to him about Jesus. You can just sort of imagine how it must have gone, where he's looking at the scroll and pointing. You You see where it says there, like a lamb before its shearers is silent? Yeah, that's talking about Jesus. When he came into the world on mission, to die for sin. He did this willingly and obediently. He didn't resist or fight. He, he did it willingly. And you see how it says there, notice there that phrase that says, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. That's talking about the innocence of Christ. In him was no sin, but he became sin for us when he died on the cross. And he, he, you see where it says there, his life was taken away? That's talking about his death. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah 
predicted that Jesus would die on the cross hundreds of years before Jesus even came. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. That if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, because of what he did in dying for you, your sins can be forgiven. And he took him to other scriptures and talked about other passages of scripture. I can imagine he took him maybe to some Psalms that point ahead to the person of Jesus Christ or some of the other minor prophets, minor, not because they weren't important because their books are smaller, and talked about, about their prophecies of Jesus. He took him through God's, the story of God's redemption and explained to him the good news about Jesus. And apparently, he believed. He was saved. And in the moment he believed, his sins were forgiven. And then he did something that many of you have done. He did something, indeed, that I believe every follower of Jesus is called to do. He was baptized. He says, again, verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him, Philip baptized him. There in front of this entourage, I'm sure, of assistants and servants and a driver. It wasn't a Tesla he was in. It was a chariot. He had a driver. There in front of those people, he was baptized as a new believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. It was a clear statement that Jesus had done something for him. Now, my approach today is to think through some key, you could say, questions and answers about baptism. First of all, we'll start with what it is. Baptism, what it is, a definition. As we understand it, in baptism, a believer openly declares their union with Christ, his saving work for them, and their commitment to him by being immersed in water by another believer. Okay, that's sort of a mouthful. And it may be not the best definition or the most concise, but it's my best try. I stepped up to the plate and swung as hard as I could. In baptism, a believer declares, so it's a declaration, a visible declaration of my union with Jesus. I'm united to him by faith. His saving work for me, so it's a declaration that Jesus did something for me. He died, he was raised, and it says something about my commitment to him, that I'm trusting in him. It's an open thing, and it happens by being immersed in water. As we understand it, that's what we do in baptism. That's also the sense I get here in reading this text. I can't tell you with 100 absolute percent certainty that it was done in the same way that you'll see in this water behind me today. But the sense of this text, as I read it, to me, seems very clear that they went down into the water. And they went down in the water for the purpose of the Ethiopian man being baptized. Why would he do that? Well, because we believe this is what baptism is. Second question, who is it for? Who is it for? Baptism, who is it for? Well, we believe it's for believers. That if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, then baptism is for you. And um, we can see, take just for example, the story here of this Ethiopian. And look at what God has done for him. And really, when you look back at the story, you just see the powerful working of God to bring this man from death to life. I mean, even look back at verse 26, where it all began. We just kind of read it quickly, but did you notice how God began this story? 
he involved an angel. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. So he uses an angel, sends an angel. I don't know if there's an angel involved in your conversion story. There wasn't one that I know of involved in mine. But we see here a powerful work of God to, uh, to raise up, to send a messenger. In your life, I wonder who the messenger was who brought you good news. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a grandparent. Perhaps it was a friend or a coworker. Maybe somebody in your family. Maybe somebody in your neighborhood. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe you were, heard a preacher in person or were listening to a preacher online. Maybe it was something you were reading. You picked up a little pamphlet or you read a book or something that, talked to you, that taught you and helped you understand about Jesus. Maybe you listened to something online. Perhaps some of you, it was a CD, a compact disc. Maybe it was a cassette tape dating yourself some. I know there's a man that I know. He got saved. He was driving his car in, on the Highway 401, and he was listening to a preacher on a CD that someone had given him, and he heard the gospel preached from the book of Romans, and he began to weep, and he had to pull his car over to the side of the road because he could not see through his tears anymore to drive it safely. And there at the side of the road on the 401 with cars whizzing by, he asked Jesus to forgive him for his sins, and he became, as we would say, born again. What happened? God sent a messenger, and he sent a messenger to you in some way, shape, or form if you were in Christ. Also, I noticed, too, God working to prepare his heart. He, was, he had a, a spiritual hunger there. That didn't come out of nowhere. God was working, and he went to Jerusalem, and he may have been disappointed by what he saw in Jerusalem, but he found the book of Isaiah, and he was reading Isaiah, and you can see God is doing something here. God is cultivating in him a desire. God is raising questions for helping him to ask good questions. There's a longing. There's a hunger. There's a felt need. There's a sense of conviction, and then God used his word, didn't he? He's reading the book of Isaiah, and Philip's role was just to explain to explain with the help of the Holy Spirit, to explain the good news about Jesus. And your story would probably look different than this Ethiopian's, but there are similarities. There are similarities. God sent a messenger. God prepared your heart. God used his word, the good news of the gospel. And if you are in Christ, you were saved by grace alone. It came to you as a gift from God. Not because of anything you did or performed, but as a gift from God, his grace to you. It came to you through faith alone. You didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. You didn't tick off a box. You, you came with empty hands before God, having nothing to offer him, only to receive you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and because of Jesus alone. The work that needed to be done was done by Christ. And that's what Philip is explaining to him from the book of Isaiah, the work of Christ that he did on the cross to save us from our sins. When this happens to you, my question is, what's next? Well, what's next we see in Scripture, we see here, and in other accounts, this, a similar thing that he was baptized. In fact, he seems to ask for baptism, doesn't he? In verse 36, he says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And I asked myself, I wonder why he asked about that. And my best answer that I have for this is that it had to have been in Philip's gospel presentation. He had to have said something about baptism and its meaning so that the Ethiopian here would ask, well, what prevents me from being baptized? You'll notice too, it's, maybe you didn't notice, maybe you're just noticing this for the first time. My Bible goes from verse 36 to 38, and you wonder, what happened to verse 37? Did we drop it in the parking lot? Where, where is it? Well, 
There's a little footnote probably. If you have verse 37 right there in the text, then you're probably asking, what are you talking about? Your Bible doesn't have it? Some of your Bibles do. Many of your Bibles don't. There's a little footnote at the bottom of your Bible, probably. Verse 37 isn't in the body of the text. It's there at the bottom. And the reason is because that verse is not in the oldest manuscripts. All the many, many, many Greek manuscripts we have, the oldest ones, that verse isn't in there. There's, there's, many, there's many who work very hard at, uh, at this who suggest that perhaps that verse 37 was a late scribal edition trying to add clarity to this. So, so some of our Bibles don't have verse 37 in the bottom of the text. For transparency, it's at the bottom an explanation about what happened to it. And it says in my Bible in the footnote, verse 37 reads, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, you may be baptized. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, whether that's original or not, it is an interesting declaration of faith. But I, I don't need it there this morning to help get the answers we're looking for because we see this actually pretty powerfully and clearly in Scripture. Baptism is something that is featured for a believer to do as, as an open declaration of their union with Christ, his saving work for them, and our commitment to him, baptism. Why baptism? Why water? Well, it says in verse 38 that he baptized him. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. This word baptism is actually a word that's used in antiquity outside of churchy settings to talk about things like sometimes a sunken ship. That word baptizo would be used in reference to it, get, went down under the water. It's also my understanding that, that in the, the textile industry, that if you were dyeing a, a cloth, you would submerge, you would, you would baptize that cloth. It seems funny to say that, but that was the word used outside of religious context uh, to soak that cloth in water so that it could be uh, stained with your bleach so you have your, your tie-dye shirt or whatever they wore in those days. I don't really know that much about what they wore, but I knew, know that that's how they used that word. I want you to notice this first, 1 Peter 3, 21. Think about what we're saying here about baptism, who it's for. It's for believers. He says this, 1 Peter 3, do I, do I have that in my notes or no? That's my bad if it's not there. Baptism is for believers, is it there? Oh, yes, there it is, it is there. So my magic's not working fast today. I'm just kidding, I don't believe in magic. <laughs> Baptism now saves you, and all God's people are like, what? Baptism saves you? Hang on a second. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, so it's not getting wet. It's not the physical act of baptism that saves you, like to wash you. Lots of us today need washing, right? So lots of us do. Oh, yeah, it was a rush this morning getting out. Lots of us need washing, but that's not the washing we're talking about. Baptism now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as, notice, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's an appeal to God, somebody who, who recognizes that I have a need, I have sin in my life, and there's a, an appeal to God for a good conscience, for cleansing, for the forgiveness of sin. If I got a bad conscience because I've sinned, what I need is forgiveness. And so it's an appeal, he's, Peter says, 1 Peter 3.21, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's based on what Jesus has done. 
what I want you to see here from this verse is that in Peter's mind, baptism itself doesn't save you in terms of the physical act, but it's representative of something, and it is a declaration of something that I need saving. And I believe that God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, can do that. It's an act it's an expression of an inward confession and prayer to God for a good conscience. I'm expressing my faith in Jesus that he accomplished this. It's something that's done by faith. It's for believers. And I ask you, are you a believer in Jesus? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Then I would argue that baptism is for you. Which leads to another question. Why baptism? Like, why, why are we dealing with water? Why should believers, like, why, why was the Ethiopian so eager to be baptized? Why do the apostles make this part of their message? Why am I commending baptism to you today? Four reasons. Baptism, why we do it. Number one, we understand it to be an act of obedience. Obedience to Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, a, verse, a passage we studied last week. Remember this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing them. Now I said a week ago that I do think in this context, when Jesus talks about baptizing, he has in view all that's connected to that, from sharing the gospel, evangelism, conversion, and indeed, this word here, baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. And notice, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So teaching them to follow all my commands, including this one, to follow me. It's important for you to know that at Hope Niagara, we do see this not merely as an obedience issue. Not merely, but in part as an obedience issue because we see and understand Jesus to have commanded it. We do it because we love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now some, you hear that this morning, you're like, okay, here comes that rotten, that rot rotten, that raw egg out of the lunch bag. Seems condemning. I would just say to you loved ones this. Condemnation and conviction are vastly different things. Condemnation and conviction are vastly different things. I am aiming for conviction. I'm preaching this morning from conviction. But my heart is certainly not to condemn at all. But understand that we, we do see it, we do understand it in part as an act of obedience. But why baptism? Like why, why water? What's, what's so, why does Jesus call, why do we see in scripture this call to get in the water? Well, because the second reason we baptize is because it's a symbol of our salvation. It is a symbol of our salvation. Romans chapter 6, a really important text for us as we understand baptism, not just for this subject, but certainly in part for this subject. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, in verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We believe, we understand baptism to be importantly symbolic of what Jesus has done for you in dying and raising from the dead 
and what it means that you are united to him by faith. Paul says that baptism portrays something. We've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. I said to you in the past that when we baptize, it's, there's a couple of glorious pictures being portrayed. The first is a death. And you're like, that doesn't sound very glorious. I agree, except for when you realize what kind of death it is. When we look back at the death of Jesus, we know that he died for our sins. And when we trust in him, the old me dies. Isn't that good news? I mean, think about this. Isn't it true, lots of us feel this way, that when we make a list of all of the problems we got in, life, in our lives, near the top, this is for me, one of my biggest problems is me. But in Jesus, the old me dies and is raised to life. That's what Paul talks about. There's a death. I've died with Jesus. We're buried with, with him, therefore with him, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when someone is baptized, as we understand it, it's, there's a couple of things. It's that baptismal tank up there is a grave and a birthing suite. It's a grave because you're going to go under the water I've died with Jesus. I'm buried with him, the old me. But I don't stay there. Remember, we've said in the past, if you stay there, that's murder, right? That complicates our service this morning. You're not staying down there. You're coming up out of the water, raised to walk in newness of life. Well, coming up out of the water, aside from the obvious reasons of what would happen if you stayed under the water, why do we come up out of the water? Well, what happened on the third day? Jesus arose from the dead, and that life that he lives now, you and I have that resurrection life. We're united to him. So I am dead, the old me is dead. The me that was indifferent to Jesus, going my own way away from Jesus is dead. And now there's a new me who loves Jesus and is following Jesus. And it's not happened just because I decided so, it's happened because God has worked supernaturally in my life to bring me from death to life. And that's what baptism symbolizes. The baptism itself, as we understand it, doesn't save, but it is a symbol of our salvation. Like, if, when you, if, if you were married and when you got married, you said something like, with this ring I thee wed. Nobody talks like that anymore, I know, but maybe you said something like that. That ring, this, this ring isn't my marriage, right? There is my marriage over there, sort of looking past you, probably right over there. That's right. No one's going to want to sit over here in the future, right, where sort of the end spot is. This is our marriage together, but this is a symbol of it. It's, it's, it's a declaration. It says something about me and her and our commitment together. That's what baptism is. As we understand it, it's an act of obedience. It's a symbol of our salvation. Thirdly, it's a confession of Christ. A confession of Christ. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, You were buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So I was buried with him. I was raised with him. My baptism is an open public declaration of my confession of Christ that I identify with him. It's like when you are signed to a professional sports team, which I know some of us are still dreaming of happening. And they have the big ceremony where they bring the media in and they have your jersey with your name on it and you put that jersey on it and yeah, your name is on the back of it, but now I play for the name on the front of it. 
And that's the idea. I mean, when you put that jersey on, you're identifying yourself with a group, with a team. I'm with them. I'm for them. And also, it marks me off from who I'm, I'm not with as well, right? Like, I'm a Leafs fan. I hate the Ottawa Senators. And people will say, I've heard people say this. They're just like, well, I'm a fan of the Senators and the Leafs. I'm like, that's not possible. That's what... If you're saying that, you're clearly not a Leaf fan because every Leaf fan knows that the Ottawa Senators, I don't care what country they play in, they are despicable. They, I hate everything about the Ottawa Senators. I, I hate the sound of their goal horn even. It, I have a visceral reaction to that because I'm a Leaf fan. And I, by the way, I feel almost equally as cozy about most other NHL teams too because this is my identity, I'm with them. And I know it's a sickness and an illness, but let's not talk about hockey anymore. <laughs> I'm talking about Jesus. It's not a jersey you put on, but it's that kind of idea. I'm confessing Christ, I'm with him, he's with me. This is me now. It's a confession of Christ. Fourthly, it's also as we see it, it's a pattern for believers. When I say a pattern for believers, I mean a pattern that we see in the New Testament where a person confesses Christ, they believe on Jesus, and then are baptized. They believe and then are baptized. Let me just show you a few verses in Acts where we see this pattern. Uh, so for example, we got Acts, uh, Acts 2. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So we see there's a pattern here. This is early on, this is the first beginning of Acts. So we see, okay, there's belief, and then there's baptism. Acts 8 and verse 12, we see this pattern repeated. Acts 8 and verse 12, but when they believed Philip, Philip was a great evangelist, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. I want you to see when they believed, they were baptized. Acts 8, our text here today, we see this Ethiopian he asked about baptism. I would surmise that baptism was part of the, the gospel presentation. But to me, and, and maybe you disagree, but to me the sense is quite apparent that he heard the gospel, he heard the good news about Jesus, he believed, and then was baptized. Or how about Acts 18? Acts 18, verse 8. It says, and many, the magic's getting better. Isn't it amazing? No, I don't believe in magic. And many of the notice, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul noticed they believed and were baptized. So here's what we see. We see this as a pattern. Where does baptism fit in the life of the believer? When you believe on Jesus, then you're baptized. The New Testament pattern is that you believe and you're baptized. There's evangelism, there's conversion, there's baptism, there's discipleship, following Jesus. That's how we understand it. I would say this to you as well. The New Testament does not have a category for an unbaptized believer. You just, you just don't see it. You just don't see it. I'm not saying that every person who believes you read about their baptism. I'm not, not saying that. What I am saying is you read through the New Testament. Maybe you hadn't noticed that, but, but watch for it. There's really no contemplation of a, someone who loves and follows Jesus who doesn't get baptized. I, I think that's noteworthy. Now, I'm going to say this to you. There's a crunching sound in the room right now. And that crunching sound 
is a great big elephant eating peanuts. Ever heard of the elephant in the room? It's the thing that just sort of lots of us are aware of, but nobody wants to talk about it. We'll just sit here listening to it, crunch its peanuts, and pretend it's not there. So, with great faith, I'm just going to name the elephant in the room, okay? What about infant baptism? What about infant baptism? I mentioned this briefly, and I'm going to say right now, what I'm going to say isn't all there is to be said. Far cry from all there is to be said about this subject. And I recognize that how, in just a moment, how I will describe infant baptism, for some, will not be satisfactory. I admit that. Please just know, I just don't have a lot of time. I want to be, try to be as fair as I can, but I just set it up that way. I handle it this way because I just know there's many people in our fellowship here who come from a background where not only is infant baptism practiced, but firmly believed by conviction. I would say even with the same level of conviction that I have about what I'm sharing about our understanding of baptism. Many come from a background where it is held, many of you come from a background where it is believed, it is held that there is a vital link between circumcision in the Old Covenant that we read about in the Old Testament. There's a link between circumcision in the Old Covenant and baptism in the New Covenant. That just as God gave his covenant promise of grace to Abraham along with the accompanying sign of circumcision in Israel, so God now also extends his covenant promise of grace to believers and their children with the accompanying sign of baptism. Where the old covenant people circumcised their infants on the eighth day as a sign and seal of the old covenant, so also new covenant, New Testament believers baptize infants as a sign and seal of that covenant for them as well. Our understanding of scripture on this, though, is, is quite different. It's quite different. For one, as we see it, in the new covenant, God has a different way of constituting his people. In the old covenant, you're born of the flesh in Israel. In the new covenant, you're born of the spirit. In Israel, all male infants were to be uh, circumcised. But really, when you read it, you see, truly in Israel, in Israel's history, there was a smaller believing remnant. So all the males were circumcised, but so much of Israel was not faithful to God, even though they had been circumcised. In the New Covenant, though, baptism is for the authentic community. It's for the authentic believers. So we don't see it as, as everyone is baptized, knowing that not all are saved. Now we see it the other way, we see it the other way. We see in the new covenant that you believe and are baptized as a sign and seal of your faith. In the old covenant, a parent would circumcise their little boy in the eighth day as an act of obedience and in faith before God. But in the new covenant, we see that person being baptized as their faith in God and their act of obedience in response to the saving work of Jesus. Also, as we see it, in the New Testament, every New Testament command and instance of, in every New Testament command and instance of baptism, 
a person first believes and then is baptized. So we look for exceptions, and frankly, I, I don't see them. Also, we don't see in Scripture any instance, any explicit instance of infant baptism in the New Testament. Again, this is how we understand it. And I know it's for some it's a raw egg, and I, you, you know my heart in this. But here's, here's what we really believe. There's no explicit instance of infant baptism in the New Testament where, where household baptisms are mentioned, and there are some. There's no explicit mention of infants being baptized. I grant you, it's plausible. I grant you that. I won't argue with you that. But I don't see it explicitly in Scripture. Even in Acts chapter 16, where we read the, the amazing story, the conversion of the Philippian jailer, and it tells us that, that he and his household were baptized, the text tells us that in the midst of that, the word of the Lord was preached, and then they were baptized. So it implies that all who are there could understand. Even if there were children, they could understand. Also, and I'll, I'll leave it here, but also, as I said, well, I think I just said this just a moment ago, that baptism, as we see it in the New Testament, involves the faith of the person being baptized. Remember, it's that appeal, that appeal to God for a good conscience. Please understand me this morning. And I... I'm taking this approach because I really do care. And I, I don't want to convey to you that if you have a different view that I somehow think that you're not being biblical. I don't. I don't think you're correct. But I don't think it's because you're not careful. But I do believe by conviction that this is what baptism is about. Not disrespecting the sincerity of anyone's belief or dishonoring anything that anybody has done in their past. But our desire is, as always, to honor God and follow Scripture and, quite frankly, to preach on subjects that we know will involve elephants and raw eggs. It's our conviction that baptism is for believers who have already placed their faith in Christ. And that's our aim to convey not only what we're doing today, but why we're doing it. And let me close with this. When we're baptized, what can we expect? What can we expect? I don't mean like what's the process, like where do you change and what time do you show up, those things. I mean, what happens when we do, spiritually speaking? I say three things. One, your faith is strengthened. Your faith is strengthened. Baptism is an exercise of faith. And I don't mean necessarily the fear and trepidation of standing in front of people, although that involves some faith, to be sure. But it's public, it's open, it's intentional. And there's something about a great boldness by God's grace that happens in the midst of baptism that for many believers will tell you it strengthens and encourages them in their faith. If you are a new believer, it really sets a trajectory for your life because you are in a very biblical, clear way declaring something about who you are now. In Jesus, your identity my identity is not what I choose for myself. That's the nonsense the world tells us. No, my identity is in Christ. Amen. My allegiance is not to people who make me feel guilty or people who pressure me. My allegiance is to Christ who saved me. Amen. And my story is a story of his glory. That's what's happening. 
when you're baptized. Your faith is strengthened. Also, too, when you're baptized, the gospel is proclaimed in a really powerful way. Because what is happening, even if, and we do say things, you'll see them, even if you do say things, you don't even have to say things, and the picture is there of what's happened. It is a declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the life that we can have in him. So you can expect that your, your faith will be strengthened, the gospel will be proclaimed, and thirdly, finally, I would say, you also will experience much joy. Much joy. This is the consistent testimony I have heard over the years of believers when they are baptized, whether they have just believed or maybe believed for even a long time and come to that place of seeing, you know what, this is something that God wants me to do now. You can anticipate much joy. In fact, if you just look at the text again, once more, at the text in, in Acts chapter 8, after he's baptized, Acts chapter 8 and verse 39. It says, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't know if that's a supernatural thing or if they just led him to go somewhere else, but no matter. Notice what happens. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way, what? Rejoicing. 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 There is much joy in following Jesus. There's much joy in following Jesus in the waters of baptism. I think there's joy in walking in obedience to him, joy in knowing that my sins are forgiven, the joy of knowing that I got a home in heaven, that he has come and he has found me, and I'm responding in faith. There's much joy. So in just a moment, we're going to see, we're going to sing a worship song, we're going to see some baptisms, but I'm going to just leave you with these, these two final things, then I promise, I'm done, okay? One, um, for some of you, you're hearing some things today that maybe you've never heard before. Things you've heard before, but maybe haven't yet responded to, or maybe I've given you some things to think about, or maybe you're hearing some things today, you're just like, that's just nonsense. I accept all that. I would say, though, that if, if you're in a place of wrestling through this, I would encourage you by faith to wrestle through it. And I think a great opportunity for you, if you want to spend more time brooding over these things and understanding how we understand the subject of baptism, a great opportunity is right in front of you. There is a baptism class, a two-part baptism class, starting next week that you can be part of. And um, there's information available online. You can speak to any of the staff, speak to any of the ushers here this morning. They'll point you in the right direction. But the next two weeks, there is a baptism class in which we'll walk through these things at a slower pace, opportunity for Q&A and that sort of thing. And I think that if this is something you are trying to better understand, trying to get your mind around, even if you're wrestling with it, I think it's a great opportunity for you to just spend some more time studying this. And I would encourage you in it. I'd encourage you in it. But there's some of you maybe who have heard, heard this sermon this morning and the Lord's working in your heart and you, you read that verse where it says, you know, the Ethiopian says, see, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? And that verse just lands on you as being for you. I would just say to you this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ and you're following him and you've not yet been baptized as a believer, just on the other side of that wall is water. What prevents you from being baptized? You say, I didn't bring a change of clothes. Way ahead of you, way ahead of you. We got you covered. We got you covered. If you're just like, this is crazy, this is crazy. It may be, but it might be obedient. It might be the Spirit's prompting. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. And if you're just like, today's the day. I don't want to go home today without doing this that God has called me to do. Our elders are going to be right outside those doors in the lobby. While this final song is playing, I just encourage you just to join them out there and 
and have a conversation with them. They'd be glad to have a conversation with you. If you together agree, you know, maybe it's just this isn't the right time, that's fine, that's great, we've discovered something. But maybe today's the day where for some of you, if you understand what I mean by this, for some of you, it's time to get this done. And so you can join the elders in the lobby. I'm going to pray and have the worship team come, and then we're going to baptize.